Good morning. Wow, that was a lot of woos. Didn't hear any boos. <laughs> um, I want to pray because I'm really spiritual. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, I just want to offer myself to you right now in this moment. Uh, I agree with Pastor Ricky in that it's really not about me, it's not about um, him, it's about you, Lord. And so I come as a vessel. I'm, I just want you to pour out through me. I give you my mind, my will, my emotions, my heart, and I give you this moment, Lord. I want you to be glorified and magnified through what I say, and I pray in your son's name, amen. So like Pastor Ricky said, uh, we were at a staff meeting, actually, and I shared a part of my story, uh, and he asked if I would share a part of my story with you. And so, of course, I said yes, because who knows, testimonies are powerful. And uh, really, what we all have is a story to share. Uh, if we would get better at being willing to say yes, to share it when times present themselves. And so, even though I don't necessarily like um, this, I do understand the power of a story. It actually says in Revelation that uh, the church overcomes by the blood of the lamb and the, and the word of their testimony. And so I'm really here to share a part of my story with you. Uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed and then talked with Pastor Ricky, who did critique me quite a lot. <laughs> but praise God for it, honestly, because he's such a good leader and mentor and helper. Um, I'm coming here underneath his leadership having talked through this with him multiple times. And there was so much I could say to you and so much I, I really want to say to you because I love Jesus so much and I know he loves you so much. But through the conversation and through his encouragement for me to go and really sit with the Lord, and he really said, Shelly, you, you have a lot here. He's, he literally did this. You have a lot here. You have a lot here. But you're not really saying it here. And so he challenged me to, to sit quietly with God. Um, before I tell you what the Lord wants me to say, I also want to honor Pastor Ricky and the realization that how much work this takes and that he does it every week. It's, I can't believe you do it every week. I know I've said that too many times, but I just want to remind you all that we have an incredible leader. And it's, woo! Woo! Um, I really, really mean that. And I've been under a lot of leadership and I bless them all, but there is something really special about his leadership, about his humility, about his willingness to say it how it is in the word and not deviate from it. Um, and so I'm thankful for your leadership and I'm thankful for this opportunity, I truly am. Uh, so in my prayer time, I felt like the Lord told me to say, well, he said to me, tell them that you were a prodigal too. And so I said, oh. You want me to talk about that? <laughs> Are you sure? Um, if you don't know what the pr word prodigal means, it's a word that, is, uh, that means wasteful or useless. And it's actually in the title of a story in Luke chapter 15. And it's one of Jesus's most uh, well-known parables. Uh, it is among two others, or three, it's one of three stories. There's a story about a lost sheep, a story about a lost coin, and a story about a lost son. And in the title, oftentimes, it's called the, the, the son is called the prodigal son. He's the wasteful and useless son. And so basically, God wanted me to come up here and tell you that at one point in my life, I was wasteful and useless. That I was a prodigal too. 
And so he refines the message um, for me to share with you. And I want to read the passage in Luke 15. I'm only going to read the section about the younger son. And I would encourage you all to get into Luke 15, read about the sheep, read about the coin, and read the whole of the story of the two sons, because really, I'm just sharing a part of my story in a part of his. But there's so much more that you can find in this chapter. And I know Pastor Ricky and all of the leaders here want you to get into the word and read it for yourself. But I'm going to read uh, to you the passage that we're focusing on today. It's in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up with me. It'll be on the screen also. Okay, so we're starting in verse 11. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I brought tissues. There's one thing I'm good at, it's crying. Um, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, a sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Yeah, it's worth a clap, right? Praise the Lord. We're just going to woo all day today. No booing. Um, yeah, so God, I relate so much with that story. And the reason that God wanted me to tell you I was a prodigal too was to encourage you and that uh, I know what it's like to go to church with a smile and be broken inside. I know what it's like to be so far from God that I'm not even in church. Uh, I know what it's like to be in darkness. Uh, I was raised in a family of faith. I don't actually remember when I received Jesus as my savior because I don't remember a day I didn't believe in him. Uh, I went to Sunday morning church, Wednesday night, VBS, Awanas, youth retreats, like you name it, I was there. I was a church kid. My parents were great parents. Uh, they raised us in the church, they modeled faith. Um, Hillary, you're here. You weren't supposed to be. Praise God. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I was raised in the faith, and I had a wonderful home. I had a safe home, uh, and I loved Jesus as a young person. It was genuine. I really loved him. Uh, another aspect of my life, I was born with a cleft palate. 
So when you're born with a cleft palate, it's where you don't have a section of the roof of your mouth. That's why I sound the way I do. Fun fact, when you speak, there's vibrations from your vocal cords that come up, they hit the roof of your mouth, and then they come out of your mouth. Well, half of mine go through my nose, hence why I sound different. And my peers did a really good job in school of telling me every day how different I was. They told me how unique I sounded in more colorful language, and I developed a complex. Uh, not only did my voice sound different, uh, because of the cleft palate, my jaws didn't form correctly, so I looked different. I had reconstructive surgery when I was 16 years old, and it drastically changed the way I looked, but up until 16 years old, uh, I was unique. And again, my peers did a great job in a cruel way of telling me how unique I was. And so my identity was broken. I didn't think I was beautiful. I hated the way I sounded. I hated people looking at me, and I hated talking to people. <laughs> so this is unique, right? Isn't God funny? <laughs> uh, this is like my worst dream come true. <laughs> no, but truly, um, I, I loved the Lord, of course, but I had some brokenness, uh, deep identity issues. I did not like who I was. And that's generous. I, in moments, like, wished I wasn't here. Um, I just didn't understand why God would do that to me, why he would let me be that way. So I had some pain. Uh, another aspect of my life is when I was very young, um, I went to a daycare where all, where all of the children were abused. And because there's young ears in the room, I'm not going to go into detail. Uh, I don't have memory of that abuse, but I know I was there. And so it was this weird dynamic where I wasn't sure if it happened to me, but I almost knew that it did. And I carried a deep shame and just felt yucky and violated, um, but didn't talk about it very much. And so I learned about that arena um, like before I can even remember. And it always kind of felt like I was tainted. Uh, so you know, flash, fast forward to when I was about 18, um, I, because of all those issues, I learned how to uh, be a good student. I was a great athlete. I was trying to, like, prove to everybody that I was valuable and good and worth loving. And so I did end up getting a 75% scholarship to USF, and I had a great future ahead of me. I loved God, had those burdens, had, the, had, had that, you know, those issues on my back, but I was going to walk into life and hopefully do something with it. Um, but then I started to taste freedom like the prodigal son did. And what I thought was freedom was really uh, like five-year journey into darkness. And so I lived with God for 18 years of my life. And as soon as I had the opportunity, like the prodigal son did, I kind of told God, I want to go out there and I want to do my own thing. And I know many of you in this room have done that. Just by, like, just me knowing some of you, I know some of your stories, but in a room this size, I know that many of us have had a season that we went prodigal. We, we became wasteful and useless, right? Uh, and so I want to start with your first key truth on your notes. It's so interesting making these notes. It seems so simple, but it's just like hard work. So thank God for Pastor Ricky. <laughs> I'm going to say it like a hundred times. How do you do this every week? So, you know, the first thing I want to let you, I want to tell you, the key truth is that God will let you walk away. God let me 
walk away. He let the prodigal son walk away from his house. God knew that my heart wasn't fully in it with him. And so he let me wander into darkness and find out for myself what I thought freedom was. And I tasted freedom, and freedom looked like partying, drinking, promiscuity. Uh, I woke up many mornings not knowing what I had done or who I had done it with. I drove under the influence many times. I was even pulled over twice, and by the grace of God, I wasn't arrested. Uh, I could have had a lot of children, if you know what I mean. I could have um, had many diseases. I just, I wandered into darkness. And I relate with the prodigal son because so did he, right? We see it here. Uh, it says in James chapter three, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it, uh, uh, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom comes down from, uh, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is what I want you to pay attention to. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So up until I was 18, I lived in the boundaries of God's grace. I lived in his house. I, I lived in a great earthly home and I lived under the grace of God. And so I did have um, God's protection. But as soon as I was given the opportunity, like the prodigal son, I walked out of his house and I had selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is the root of so much of our sin. And there's an aspect about the prodigal son that I, that I really hope that you hear today. You can be a prodigal person like I was, but there's also aspects of our heart that can be prodigal. The word prodigal is actually an adjective and a noun. It can be used to describe something or it can be a person. And so it's maybe today you are in a season where you identify as a prodigal son. You just, you do not exist in the grace of God. You, you've abandoned your faith or maybe you've never really been there. And so you live in this place. But there's another reality that our rebellion, our choices, uh, they can lead us into that place even if we think we're in the house of God. So the key truth number two that I wanna share with you is you can be in God's house and have a rebellious heart. And so what do I mean by that? A rebellion is really thinking, I can do this on my own. It's selfish ambition. Some of you have disorder in your homes, in your relationship, in your finances. Some of you are struggling with anxiety, depression, and you're wondering what the heck is going on. I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. But there's things in your life that you know you're potentially being rebellious about. You know, something that Pastor Ricky talks about and was recently talking about was tithing, right? God's pretty clear. He wants us to be generous people. Some of you are struggling in poverty and, or um, you just can't get ahead or you don't understand why there's disorder in your finances, but God told you, this is what I want you to do. 10%? No. This is rebellion, this is selfish ambition. And the word of God said, where there's selfish ambition, there's every evil thing. There's disorder. Some of you used, an, used your pain like I did as an excuse. Well, God, they don't like me. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find love. I'm gonna go find comfort. I'm gonna go find freedom. 
I'm gonna make it on my own. And you wonder why you're anxious all the time. You wonder why you have a hard time in relationships. And the Lord is saying, I told you, this is the way I want you to deal with it. I want you to talk to me about your pain. I want you to ask me who you, who, I want you to ask me who I think, who I say you are, right? And so part of the reason that I rebelled was because I had so much pain and trauma. And instead of living in the house with God and talking to him about my pain and trauma, I rejected him and I became reckless. The reality is um, the prodigal son was reckless. You see in the prodigal's process that he rebelled and anytime we go against what God says, we're rebellious. It's the essence of sin. And then he became reckless. He squandered what he had. You know, in that, in that time, when a son uh, would ask his father for an inheritance, it was like he was saying, I wish you were dead. So when the prodigal son came home to be with his father and the father said, he was dead and now he's alive, some people are like, oh, he didn't die. He was just with the pigs, you know? Um, but God is telling us through this passage that there was an expression of the, the younger son that said, I want nothing to do with you. You might as well be dead. And he walked away from the relationship. And so I also walked away from relationship with God. And I was reckless. I realized pretty quickly, about year two in, that this was getting worse and worse and worse. I met Jacob when I was 21 years old and we prodigaled some more together. <laughs> Praise God. Um, <laughs> it's funny you think that's funny. Uh, so it got really bad for me when, at, right after we got married, I was 24 and we relocated to Massachusetts. And living in Massachusetts is where I hit the lowest of lows. Uh, my life was crazy. I was partying. But I had, like, community around me when I lived here in Florida. I had friends and, you know, I had family. I had some comfort zones. Um, when we moved to Massachusetts, it got really dark for me. I didn't know anyone except my employer, whose name, well, I should, should I say his name? No. Uh, he was a Russian scientist, Scientologist dentist, and that's who I worked for, him and his wife, Lana. So my two friends outside of my husband were uh, this man and his wife, Lana. And it was like, what did you do? Where am I? It was so lonely. Uh, true story, I hadn't seen snow since I was so young. I didn't even remember and so we moved in November, and it was, there was a, what's it called? A nor'easter. Do you guys know what a nor'easter is? It's like a huge snowstorm. Well, it started snowing and didn't stop. And so like week two, we were in, and there was mountains of snow. And it was gray skies. And I literally said to Jacob, why isn't it melting? Like, what, what is it doing? Why is it piling up like this, you know? Um, I, it was just a shock to me. And it was really there in that season of being all alone that God confronted in me how dark I really was. Because when my comforts were stripped away, when my friends and my family were stripped away, I was left with myself. So the title of this message today is Come to Your Senses, because I want to encourage you to come to your senses like I came to my senses. And the way that I came to my senses actually was through my husband. Uh, it was probably about six months into living in Massachusetts, and I was miserable. 
I uh, asked Jacob to bring me lunch. It was probably like 1.30. I hadn't got out of my pajamas yet. I was in bed, probably binge watching some garbage, uh, Real Housewives of something, one of those cities, and um, I was just miserable. Uh, it wasn't a couple of days before that that I had actually, I was in the bathroom and I considered taking my life. It was dark. Um, I know what it's like to plaster on a smile. I told you this, but I know that some of you probably struggle so deeply with these harassing thoughts. Even potentially you hear thoughts or you see images or you can't seem to have a positive moment. Uh, I know what it's like because I lived there. I had literally gotten to the point where I thought it would, better, it would be better that I wasn't here. And it was a quick thing, and, and, and typically my demeanor is happy and joyful, right? And so I realized, like, this is really bad. So fast forward to the day that Jacob brings me lunch in bed, and uh, he said, Shelly, we need to get back to church. And it was like in that moment, he, I just looked at my surroundings like the prodigal did. He looked, and he was in a pig, uh, you know, he was feeding pigs, desiring to eat, the things that pigs ate. I mean, I was eating Wendy's, but, you know, it's close. <laughs> Just kidding. I still like a good junior bacon cheeseburger every now and then. Um, but, you know, there's a detail that I, I felt like the Lord was highlighting to me is that um, pigs in Scripture are symbolic of, like, unclean spirits of darkness, uh, they can symbolize a lot of things, but there is one way in which uh, we can look at pigs. In fact, the Jewish people weren't allowed to eat pigs. They were considered unclean. And, and when it says that the prodigal was considering feasting on the things that the pigs feasted on, I think it's practical, right? There was like food and he was hungry. But what do we know dark things feast on? Addiction, alcoholism, I drank during that season more than I didn't, uh, suicide, you know, just things to numb the pain. And so there's a reality here that you get lured into darkness by your own rebellion, you say yes, and then you end up here, and it's miserable, and it's dark, it's lonely. And I knew, like the prodigal son did, there is a better place. And so I'm telling you today, whether or not you are a prodigal and you're like, I, I am just totally miserable in life, or maybe there's areas of your heart that you feel like you're in rebellion, or maybe there's pain that is like holding you captive. Uh, I think a lot about people who've walked through trauma. Um, thing, I, because I know of this world I know many of you have probably been abused, neglected, harmed by another person. I know what it's like because I lived there, and I want to tell you that there is a better way than trying to deal with it on your own. Because it doesn't seem like it would be rebellious to feel sorry and sad for yourself because of what was done to you. It doesn't seem like it's your fault, right? It wasn't your fault. In fact, God hated that. But when God says, I want to heal you, and I want to do it my way, and this is what the word says, and I want you to confess your sin to one another so that you can be healed. I want you to talk to me and have relationship with me, and if you say things like, it's just too hard, I'm not going there. 
I can't talk about it. I can't tell anybody. If they knew what I did, if they knew what they did to me, and it's these lies that lure you into darkness. And I'm encouraging you today to realize that there's a better way. I'm encouraging you to come to your senses. So in that moment when we, come, when we came to our senses, when I came to my senses on the bed through Jacob's encouragement to get us into um, church and the way that he, the prodigal son, got up, I want to remind you that repentance looks like that. It looks like saying, I'm not doing this anymore. Repentance isn't just saying, sorry, God. It's saying, I don't want this. I want you. And it's getting up from your, from your pig pen. It's getting up from the field of darkness, and it's walking toward God. And that's what I had to do. I had to actually get up uh, that next Sunday morning and walk into a church. And I'm not saying that the church is the answer. I'm saying that Jesus is the answer and getting yourself around people in a church that love Jesus will help you. And so right now, a lot of you are coming into a church maybe for the first time in a long time. Maybe some of you are in a season where you're not sure if you want to really give all of yourself back to God, but you found yourself here this morning. When I walked into the church, this is truly why I relate with this story is because I, like the prodigal son, had this speech in my mind like, well, I know I, I, he doesn't, I, I don't belong there. Like, he doesn't have to forgive me. I wasn't even really talking with God. I had gotten so deep into darkness that I believed that, um, that I just was not worthy and I probably would never be accepted again. I thought I was such damaged because not even God could forgive me. It was such a deceptive world that I lived in. It was so dark that it was like no hope. But I thought, well, maybe if I just go, I can kind of like, you know, get some of it. And the, ser- and the prodigal said, maybe if he just treats me like a servant, it's better than where I was. And so he got up and he took action and he put himself in the church. Uh, Pastor Ricky, will you remind me of the time that I have to be done? Okay. I'm like, what am I doing? Okay. Okay. So I walked into the building, and honestly, uh, I felt like God cut me off too, like he cut the prodigal son off. You know, the prodigal son was like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, like, don't talk to me. And the the father was like, stop it, let's take dinner, put a ring on his finger and a robe on him. And there was this reality that the, the son was unworthy of all of that. Do you see that? That, it's, that our, we are all sinners, right? And that there is no way that we can earn love like that. Even if he were perfect in his choices outside of one bad choice, we wouldn't be worthy of the love of God. And so this is an example of no matter how far you go from God, God is ready to receive you home. And so I walked into the church and I truly felt, well, only I can say is like a supernatural comfort. I walked in and I couldn't really talk to God yet. I didn't know how to relate with him. It had been so long and I felt so ashamed. And so I, I went in and I just remember standing in, the, um, in, the, in my seat, you know, in the pew and just raising my hands and like, what is happening, you know? God was touching me. I don't remember what song they sang. I don't remember literally any sermon. 
so this is great news for me because even if this is terrible, if God is here, he can move in you, right? And so for mo- like months, I'm talking to, I'm, I mean this, months, I didn't talk to God. I literally just let him love me. I walked in to the church broken, unworthy, so ashamed. And he brought me on this journey of healing. And there was nothing that I could have done to separate me from the love of God. And there's nothing that you could do that can separate you from the love of God because the love of God is a free gift. It's free. If we were um, gonna get back to the Father's house by our own choices and by our own merit, none of us would be welcome. The Father was waiting, he couldn't wait. Do you know there's a reality of the Son um, coming home that what he did was so shameful, like I said, it was like he was saying, you're dead to me. That the reality of the father running was actually like a disgraceful thing for a father in that time to do. The father, you know, men in that culture didn't run and uh, his son was dead to him, right? And so if anything, the father had every right to say, turn around and get out of here. But instead he ran to him and the truth is that the surrounding neighbors, if they would have learned about this, they could have uh, had the right to stone the son. And so we see a picture of Jesus coming and intercepting the potential stoning and punishment of the sin. As the son was coming home to the father, the father ran out, yes, because he was full of compassion, yes, because he loved his son, yes, because he missed him, but also out of a sense of protection. He ran to him knowing that if people saw him, they could stone him. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. He intercepted our sin, the punishment of our sin, and he took it upon himself. So maybe some of you are not a prodigal. Maybe some of you are just in this place where everything seems okay, but there's just this one or two things, you know, I don't really want to give. I'm not forgiving them. Every time you make those statements in your heart or in your mind and you reject what you know God is telling you, I'm I'm telling you that the word of God says that it's selfishly motivated, it's rebelling against God and you are taking that part of your heart and and you're going into the darkness. Every evil thing can happen, it says. It says it, I didn't say it. And I experienced it. And so after I got back into the house of God and he started working on my heart, he started healing me and talking to me about those pains and those things that had been done to me. And it was this beautiful embrace of God talking with me and being tender with me. He showed me this picture one day. I I felt so ashamed of the sin that I had done, and so uh, just bear with me, it's a little funny, but I, um, I pictured him and I in the universe, like standing in the universe in just a huge expanse. And uh, I'm a really visual person, he knows me because he made me, so he talks to me this right way, right? So he said, Shelly, this is your sin from that season, and it was a football, and I'm like, okay. And I see him, and he goes, he just looks at me, looks at it, and he throws it into like the abyss of the universe. In that moment, I knew there was zero way that I could find it. You see, the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from us. 
And so often we let the memory of our sin and the pain of our sin keep keep us from realizing that the sin was paid for on the cross. That Jesus took it. That God, sure, God can just pull, it could be like, you know, he can pull the sin right back, but he was expressing to me, I don't want anything to do with it and I don't want you to have anything to do with it either. I don't want you to sit and think about your sin, but I know that there's part of your heart that you left out with the pigs. And he talked to me about the pain of my identity and the pain of what happened to me and the pain of the alcohol abuse and the trauma that I brought onto my own life. And so he walked me through a healing journey and I don't have time to get into into that today, but it was very intentional. It did look like me um, having people come and counsel me and uh, pray with me and and confessing my sin and really looking for help and and God provided it for me. Uh, I wanna remind you that it says that in 2 Corinthians uh, 7.10, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So if you're in this room right now and you've done some things or you've been to some places or you've seen some things or if people have hurt you, if, you, if that is tearing you up inside,